0: Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 7th, 2018, and this is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Bove. Today we will be speaking with Father Albert Haas about his role as spiritual director for the Diocesan Retreat Center at Cedar Break. Our show today was pre recorded, so we won't be able to take any calls for Father Albert. Before we get started with the show, I want to welcome everyone listening to us here on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn, Bryan College Station, and also welcome our Central Texas listeners at KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And also, hello to our listeners in Palestine at KINF 107.9 FM. As I mentioned, this is a pre-recorded segment so we were not able to take any phone calls. I now want to welcome our guest, Father Albert Haas. Father, how are you doing this morning?
1: I am doing fine, and thanks so much, Deacon Mike, for having me on your show and being being able to talk about both what God has done for me in my life, but also what's going on here at Cedar Break.
0: And I think... Uh, A lot of people listening may not be aware of all the opportunities uh, the diocese offers at Cedar Break for people to take a retreat, to take some time to invest in their spiritual life. So I think this is a great opportunity for people to find out a little bit about the things that are available and about what you are trying to accomplish as spiritual director there.
1: Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be great to talk about.
0: Now, Now... before we get started on what we uh, you do at Cedar Break, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get to be the spiritual director at Cedar Break? Where how did you
1: start? Well, <laughs> well that that, that I I'll, I'll have to give you. I'll have to give you the short version of the long version. I'm a Franciscan friar. And I spent 11 and a half years as a missionary in mainland China. I was one of the first foreigners to live in the town of Wuhan. And then I moved up to the capital of Beijing. And I came back to the United States uh, in January of 2004. And that's when I began doing a lot of uh, preaching of parish missions and giving workshops on the spiritual life. I did that for a good number, maybe like 12 years. Uh, just to give you an example, last year I flew on United Airlines 147 times. Uh, I'm one of the. I, I'm the only Catholic priest in the United States who is a uh, a member of the United Airlines Million Miles Club because I've flown that many miles over the past twelve years preaching. And last year, Deacon Mike, I found myself become, getting a little bit weary of all the traveling, and so I approached my what we call the provincial my religious superior, and I asked him about the possibility of maybe talking to the Franciscans in California. Uh, the The Franciscans in California have six retreat houses. And so I was thinking, you know, it would be wonderful if I could just find a retreat house where I could just land and instead of me going to people, have people come to me. So um, I approached my provincial and he said at that time, well, let me just think about it and uh, contact me again, like in three months. So I, I, I took that as being a sign of God's will with, the, with my vow of obedience. Well, two months later, out of the blue. I get a phone call from Bishop Joe, our bishop here in the Diocese of Austin, and he was saying that he was looking for a new chaplain at Cedar Break. And he knew of me because maybe in the past, over the past five years, about twice a year, I would give a retreat here at Cedar Break. So um, he asked me if I'd be interested, if I would be interested in uh, becoming the chaplain here. So I I said, well, Bishop Joe, you know, I have to talk to my provincial uh, because he's the one who makes those kind of decisions. So I again contacted my provincial, my religious superior, and I told him I did not go looking for this job that it just basically fell right out of the sky into my lap. And uh, the provincial said, well, you know what, if that's a real need for the diocese of Austin, Go ahead and keep talking to them, and if they offer you the position, go ahead and take it with my blessing. So that started a process of about four months, five months, and before I knew it, here I am at Cedar Break.
0: Now, you mentioned that you were a Franciscan friar. Yes, Would you right. talk a little bit of, uh, to our listeners about what makes— a Franciscan friar different from a diocesan priest?
1: Ah, that's very easy. So a, 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 as, a, as a Franciscan, I belong to an international religious order that was founded in 1208 by St. Francis of Assisi. And so we, we take three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and we basically live our lives according to the rule that was written by St. Francis and that was approved by Pope Honorius in the year 1223. So unlike a diocesan priest who takes a vow of celibacy and takes a vow of obedience, we also have the added vow of poverty, meaning we live a simple life and, and the income that we generate goes into the community pot uh, so in other words, we don't own anything for ourselves. So, so the major difference would be that, and the fact that uh, we live in community. And that, and, and believe it or not, I thought for sure, because I'm living here at Cedar Break, I thought for sure that was going to end up being a deal breaker. Uh, with my provincial, my religious superior, because Franciscans are required to live in community. So what he has done is I am technically attached to the Franciscan community at Mission San Jose in San Antonio. And twice a month I go down there for community meetings and just to stay in touch with the community.
0: Now, Those people that have met you have noticed that you also dress distinctively. You look an awful lot like the statues of St. Anthony we have in our home parish.
1: (laughs) Well, yes, that's because as Franciscans, we wear what is called a habit. And so it is. Um, it's a modified habit from the one that was worn by St. Francis. And usually, you can tell that someone is a Franciscan because not only by their habit, but what is really unique to Franciscans is instead of wearing a belt, we wear a white cord that has three knots in it, and those three knots symbolize the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So you can always tell when you see someone dressed in a distinctive religious garb, what we call a habit, and if they are wearing a cord with three knots, then you can bet your money, you can be 99.999% positive that you are looking at a Franciscan.
0: Quickly, would you tell us the difference between a friar and a monk?
1: Oh, sure. Easy. Monks are people who are attached to a monastery, and a friar is someone who is not attached to a monastery. In other words, friars are Monks live in monasteries, friars live in friaries, but a friar does not take a vow to live in a specific location for the rest of his life. As a, for instance, a Benedictine monk would always live his life attached to a certain monastery or a Trappist monk who would live in the same physical monastery for his entire life. So they take what we call a vow of stability while we don't have that vow.
0: Now, when you were discerning the priesthood, what drew you to the Franciscans?
1: (laughs) Well, you're going to be very, very disappointed in hearing this story because all of my life, All of my, my mother always told the story. She told me this on the day of my ordination. My mother pulled me aside on the day of my ordination and said, I knew you were going to become a priest. And I said, Mama, how on earth did you know that? And she said, well, you were born on April 7th, 1955. And that was, that was actually Holy Thursday of 1955, the day when the, when the uh, church celebrates the priesthood. And she said, you came out of my womb and the doctor slapped your bare bottom. You screamed and you said, let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I, all of my life, I don't remember not wanting to be a priest, not wanting to be a Franciscan, and not wanting to be a missionary to mainland China, and growing up in New Orleans, my older sister is a Poor Clare nun, and so there were all oftentimes a lot of the Franciscans when they would visit the Poor Clare monastery, which is also a, which is a community of nuns founded by. Uh, St. Francis and St. Clair, those, those Franciscans oftentimes would end up at our house eating my mother's food because my mother was such a good cook. So I, was all, I always saw these Franciscan friars coming over to the house. So the older I got, as I began uh, dis, dis, do, to discern the call to become a priest and a, a priest, it was never a question. I always wanted to be a Franciscan priest, even though I've had Jesuit education all my life. So I, it was just something that has always been a part of—I mean, I, as I said before, I can never not remember not wanting to be a Franciscan or a priest.
0: And you also mentioned that you always had a calling to go to mainland China. Can you
1: I, I pinpoint did. where I'm that came home- from? I can well I I don't know where it came from, but I can tell you how it manifested itself. I can still remember being five and six years old and going in the backyard of our house in New Orleans and I'd be digging a hole. And my mother would come out and say, Albert, what on earth are you doing? And I said to her, Mama, I'm going to China. I'm going to China, because if you remember growing up, we were always taught if you dig a hole straight down to the earth, you would pop out into China. And so I don't know where that came from, but I was always, always fascinated uh, with China, with the Chinese language. I, um, I can still remember maybe I was, what, 12 years old? When uh, when the Chinese government finally released the last American uh, bishop, Bishop James Walsh, and they gave him his freedom, I can still remember watching that on the evening news. And so, uh, in 1991, the Franciscan Order sent out a request asking for volunteers. Uh, to bring the Franciscan presence back to mainland China, because we, the Franciscans, we were in mainland China. As a matter of fact, the first bishop of of Beijing was John of Monte Corvino uh, in the late 13th century. So. The Franciscans, we we always had a strong presence in mainland China before Mao Zedong kicked all the foreign missionaries out of the country. So in 1991, the Franciscans were asking for volunteers. And at that very moment, when that letter came in the mail, I knew right then and there that this was going to be my moment. This was my opportunity to basically live my childhood dream. And so off I went. I first went to Taiwan for two and a half years to study the language and the culture full time. And then I was itching to get into mainland China. And I ended up making it into mainland China where I ended up living for a good nine, I guess, nine and a half years. And to be quite honest with you, Deacon Mike, I would still be there. But unfortunately, in October, of 2003 uh, I began to be followed by the gung anji the, the in uh, the, uh, in Chinese uh, it's called the uh, the security police the gung anji they began following me and I had been in China long enough to know that when the Gung Anji, the security police, when they begin following you, it's just a matter of time before um, they show up at your apartment and they give you 24 hours to pack up and basically they kick you out of the country. So I knew when I be- began to be followed by the security police, I knew at that point that my time would probably run short. So I came back to the United States uh, to talk to my provincial, my religious superior, and in the process of having that talk and through prayer and discernment, we decided, you know what, it's probably best for me simply to return home. And so I did.
0: We're talking to Father Albert Haas, uh, Franciscan friar, who's now the spiritual director for the Diocesan Retreat Center at Cedar Break. Father Albert, what stands out most about your time in China?
1: Oh, <laughs> wow! I know oh, what stands out the most. Well, one thing, one thing that I came when I came back home, I did develop a real appreciation for our gift of freedom. You know, in Mainland China. The average Chinese person does not have freedom of movement. For instance, if I live in Shanghai, if I'm Chinese and I live in Shanghai, I just can't pick up and go and move to Beijing. I've got to get permission from the government to change my residence. So one thing that I came back When I I came back and the more I settled into life back in the States, I came to a deeper and deeper appreciation for our gift of freedom, for better or for worse, because, you know, there are some disadvantages, if I could put it that way, with regards to our freedom. For instance, Chinese, China is probably one of the safest places to live. It's very rare in mainland China that you hear of any kind of murders on the street. And that's because the Chinese do not have the freedom to own weapons. And so, you know, I, I used to always tell people it's one of the safest places on the planet to live. Uh, and yet you come back to the United States and you see how all of this violence that we continually have based because of of our freedom to be able to own handguns, for instance. So freedom has its advantages and its disadvantages. And if anything stands out uh, from my time in China, it is the great gift that we have of freedom. The other thing that stands out to, uh, for me is the amount of suffering that the Chinese Catholics have endured, especially during that uh, reign of terror called the Wenhua uh, Daga Ming, the Cultural Revolution that was started by Chairman Mao Zedong. Uh, be, and, and, and so uh, Catholics literally had to go underground and hide their faith. And yet, when Deng Xiaoping became chairman of China and he began to allow uh, some loose forms of religious freedom, interestingly enough, there were more Catholics then than there had been when the uh, Cultural Revolution began. So that says to me that even though the Catholics were suppressed and they had to go into the closet, into hiding they still passed on the faith to their children because when they were able to come out of the closet and begin to freely worship again, there were actually more Catholics than there had been at the beginning of the Cultural Revolution. So it just gives, you a, gives me a deeper appreciation uh, for the faith and how people who are really committed to the faith don't hesitate to pass it on even at great personal risk.
0: We're going to have to take a short break and we'll be right back talking with Father Albert Hass. I'll see you on the other side of the break. We're back and we're talking with Father Albert Haas, the spiritual director of the Diocesan Retreat Center at Cedar Break. Father Albert, we were talking before the break about your time in China and Uh uh, we ended with you talking about the amazing fact that there were more Catholics after the suppression than there were going in. And right. I wanted to speak a little bit more about that because the church has always taught that the seeds of the church is the blood of the martyrs.
1: You know, that is so true, Deacon Mike. I mean, and, and to give you a, a, a perfect example of that, when, when you go to South Korea, you know, in South Korea, the church is blossoming. They are, they are building seminaries, in South Korea, because there are so many vocations. And when you ask someone from South Korea, you know, why is it that of all of all the uh, Oriental countries in the East, why is it that Catholicism seems to be so popular in South Korea? And, And every South Korean will tell you it is because of Andrew Kim and the early Korean martyrs. And I see the same, you know, you see the same thing in China that when you meet, when you meet a Catholic, there's no such thing as a Catholic, as a Chinese Catholic who is smoldering, you know, every Chinese Catholic you meet, they are on fire with the faith. They don't hesitate to tell you they are Catholic. They're proud to be Catholic. Uh, And they evangelize. They they just have this natural way of evangelizing their friends. And and so Catholicism is not as popular in mainland China, say, as it is, for instance, in South Korea. But it's getting there. You know, it's getting there. Unfortunately, right now. Because of the uh, current president of mainland China, President uh, Xi, he's beginning now to kind of tighten tighten the boats on religious freedom a little bit, um, and so I'm I, I I really try to keep abreast just to watch what's going on if he's going to uh, perhaps suppress. A religion again, as Mao Zedong had done, or if he's just going to tightly control it. But it's a, it's amazing how, you know, sometimes I've said to myself, maybe right now, because of the current sexual abuse crisis going on here in America with the Catholic Church, this might be our moment of martyrdom to help people become re-energized in their faith and in being proud to be a Roman Catholic.
0: Which seems a little contradictory, but I think you're on to something, the fact that oh. crises do tend to make us reflect on what is really important.
1: Well, you know, Deacon Mike, this is where this is where the Chinese language is extraordinarily helpful, because in Chinese, when the, the word crisis, it, it consists of two words. The first word meaning danger, problem, crisis, but then the second word means opportunity. And so every crisis, if we approach it correctly, every crisis can be a real moment of opportunity where a whole new door opens up and we can recommit ourselves to the basics of our faith. what, what What saddens me now is because of this terrible crisis going on in the United States, so many people are choosing to walk away from the Church. So many people are choosing to opt out of expressing their Catholic faith, and I'm thinking they're missing a wonderful opportunity to be a part of the rebuilding of the Catholic Church.
0: And I would think not only that, but we need those people that provide positive examples of what the faith is intended to look like rather oh, than have absolutely. them walk away
1: yeah absolutely 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 um because i mean that's that's how the faith continued when when the when religion was suppressed in mainland china during the cultural revolution that is precisely how the faith continued because there were people who were not afraid to ma- not only maintain their faith, but a great personal risk to pass it on, not only to their children, but also to their friends. And I think, you know, this is one of the great I think one of the great insights and one of the great challenges of the pontificate of Pope Francis, because he's constantly reminding us that we're not simply our disciples. We are missionary disciples. And so all of us are sent forth to our families, our friends, our workplace to be missionaries of the faith. And this is exactly what the Chinese were doing way back when in the 1960s.
0: And this provides an excellent segue into Cedar Break. If we need to be re-energized, if we need to find tools that help us in this, this missionary discipleship, one of the ways we can find that is going on a spiritual retreat. So, sure,
1: exactly. Well. I mean, you know, here at Cedar Break, we have a number, a number of interesting programs um, that, that people take advantage of all the time. So we, we have the, the typical weekend retreats, which typically last from Friday night to Saturday noon. And pe- people come, we bring in speakers, sometimes we, we the retreat house staff which is Brian Egan, Bev Collin, and myself. Sometimes we are the presenters. Sometimes we bring in people. And it is amazing the number of people who not only rediscover their faith, but they find their faith strengthened. Um, You know, it's kind of like it's so easy, it's so easy when you're married that you forget sometimes about your spouse. And so oftentimes a sp- two spouses will get away for a weekend. They'll t- they'll get somebody, you know, to take care of the kids and they go away by themselves and just have a, w- a romantic weekend by themselves. Well, it's the same thing spiritually, you know, and that's really what a retreat is all about. We unplug, we, we, we disengage from our cell phones, our computers, our iPads, and we just spend the weekend once again focusing on this wonderful relationship that God has graced us with and that God constantly calls us deeper and deeper and deeper into this relationship with God. And so one of the things that happens here at Cedar Break is that weekend retreat. But then we also have other programs. We also have Uh, We often have programs on Saturdays uh, for Spanish speakers, again, one-day retreats. We also have, usually they occur on Wednesdays. We sometimes will offer a book study on a specific book. For instance, in February, I, I wrote a little book. Uh, on holiness according to Pope Francis called Practical Holiness, Pope Francis as a spiritual companion. It's now available for pre-order on Amazon. It's going to be published by Paraclete Press. And so in February, we're going to have a one-day a workshop on a Wednesday focused on the book and how Pope Francis challenges us with his understanding of holiness. We also, beginning in Lent of next year, we're going to start a brand new program. We're calling it the School for Contemplative Living, and that's going to consist of 18 Wednesdays, Uh, we divided them up into what we call six-week semesters, and each semester will consist of six Wednesday presentations, and each semester is a standalone, independent six weeks, so you don't have to necessarily take the first one. Uh, in order to appreciate the second, or you don't have to necessarily have taken the first one in order to take the second or the third one. And what we're going to do, that, that whole prog- that new program, the School for Contemplative Living, that whole new program is just to help people to deepen their own spiritual lives. And so we'll be talking about the history of Christian spirituality. We'll be talking about some of the great prayer practices that our Catholic tradition offers us. We'll talk about some of the great spiritual traditions like the Benedictines, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits. So it's going to be kind of like a whole deepening, helping people to deepen their own life with God. And then another thing that we've been offering for the past year and a half now is we call it Cedar Break on the Road. And that's when we go into a parish, usually, or to an area of the diocese, usually on a Tuesday. And uh, we offer a one-day kind of day of recollection. And so we've done that now. We've done it twice in Waco. Uh, We did it last month in Marble Falls. We also did it last month in your neck of the woods in Bryan at St. Joseph's Church. And we're going to continue this. So, we have a lot of things going on uh, here at Cedar Break, all with the one goal in mind, which is our motto, and that is to help people encounter Christ. And so we try to design programs, either their day programs, weekend programs, all in, with the goal of helping people not only to encounter Christ, but also to deepen their relationship with Christ.
0: I really like the emphasis on contemplation, because our world seems to be much more reactive than reflective. We respond to stimuli. We don't take time to analyze, to look at ourselves and see why we're responding in certain ways. And I think programs like those at Cedar Break provide an opportunity for us to just take a moment to breathe and to think about <laughs> n- how we respond.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you think about it, Deacon Mike, I mean, there, there, there are three spiritual challenges that really are countercultural, and these three spiritual challenges are something that we consistently work on in our programs here at, C- at Cedar Break in the Diocese of Austin, and that is we need to take time for silence Solitude and stillness. And in a world that is obsessed with Facebook and Twitter, in a world that is filled with noise, and in a world that so oftentimes has violence associated with members of gangs, solitude, silence, and stillness are three countercultural Uh, stances that we really try to work on in our programs here at Cedar break. And I think it's important for all of us to realize that, that, you know, part of being part of being a Catholic and part of being a Christian is we don't buy into the culture that we really have to take time to be silent, take time to be alone and to take time to be still in order to see clearly enough where we need to challenge our culture.
0: One of the things that you provide is spiritual direction. Would you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what exactly spiritual direction is and how it would be beneficial for your average Catholic?
1: Well, yeah. Well, let me could do talk a whole show on that, <laughs> but in a nutshell, Deacon Mike. Let me first of all say, you know, for the past eight years now, here at Cedar Break, we have been training spiritual directors. As a matter of fact, we have a new uh, new class beginning in January of next year, and it's a two-year program where we train people in the ancient art of spiritual direction. Why is having a spiritual director so important? That is because a spiritual director helps us you know, unfortunately, they're called spiritual directors and, and, and people get a little bit nervous when they hear that because they think, oh, that means that um, I have to give control of my life over to someone else and they're going to direct my life. And that's not what a spiritual director is at all. Because there's only, as St. John of the Cross you know, is famous for saying, there's only one spiritual director, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so I, as a spiritual director at Cedar Break, when someone comes to me for spiritual direction, I'm not trying to take over their life. My, ch- my challenge is, by asking open-ended questions, I help the person to get in touch with what the spirit is asking of that person. What is God up to in my life? And so I'm a spiritual director in the sense that I direct your attention to how God might be operating in your life. And then I help you to find the strength and the courage to respond to the grace of God in your life. Because so oftentimes, as you know, you know, one of of the big challenge in the spiritual life is fear. We all of us are so afraid of taking a risk for God. And so as a spiritual director, I'm directing your attention to how God might be working in your life. And then I help strategize with you how can you respond to the grace that God is offering you in your present life.
0: As a person considers getting a spiritual director... How do they go about doing that? Where would oh, you find crazy. resources?
1: Well, so so one resource is start asking around. If you, if, you, if you encounter a priest or a nun or a layperson who you kind of admire and maybe who has, uh, who has a faith life that really touches you, you might want to ask them if they would be willing to sit with you maybe once a month every six weeks. Another way of finding a spiritual director is call Cedar Break because we have a list of people who have been trained for the diocese as spiritual directors. And so we have men and women who have been trained in the ancient art who are currently doing spiritual direction. So you call the office. We can also supply you with the list. And then and then when you see the list and you, and you look at where the person lives and whatnot, then what I always suggest to people is, interview two or three of them, make an appointment with two or three and and just talk to them and just see if there is a match. um, If if you feel like you can relate to the person and if you feel like there's a match, if you feel like you can relate to this person, then you might want to commit to them and ask them, you know, would they be willing to commit maybe just for four sessions at first. And then after those four sessions, then both of you can then reassess whether or not this relationship is working. And the reason why I say four sessions is because it usually takes four sessions for a spiritual director to kind of get a sense of where the person is. And it usually takes four sessions for the person to get a sense of whether or not this person as my spiritual director is going to be helpful. So it You know, it sounds more complicated than it really is. A simple phone call to see the break can get you the list of people who have gone through the diocesan program, and then, and then you find somebody nearby, uh, you interview one or two, and the next thing you know, you're off and running. And, and let, let me also say this, you know, the real value of having a spiritual director is— it forces you once a month, six, every six weeks, it forces you to really be not only intentional about your spiritual life, but going back to a word you just used about five minutes ago, it challenges you to reflect on your life, to become reflective and to talk about it. And that, that's so much of what goes on in spiritual direction. It, it's reflecting, becoming aware of how God's grace is working in my life. And then I talk about it. I articulate it. And then I strategize ways how I'm going to respond to it. So I act on it. And so I always tell people spiritual direction really is about awareness, articulation, and action. I grow in the awareness of what is God up to in my life, I talk about it, I articulate it, and then I respond. I act on it.
0: We're talking to Father Albert Haas, the spiritual director at the Diocesan Retreat Center at Cedar Break, and right now we're talking about spiritual direction. Now, spiritual direction is associated with confession, but it's not the same thing. So how does regular confession fit into spiritual direction?
1: Well, I know with, with the people who, who I deal with as spiritual who come to me for spiritual direction, the vast majority of them do not use me as their confessors. So they have somebody different that they go to for the sacrament of reconciliation, for confession. But having said that, I think I have, what, maybe two people who also use me as a confessor because sometimes it's it's quite natural that you know you, you might bring something that you're struggling with to your spiritual director and then having talked about it for 45 minutes to an hour having talked about it it's only natural that you then want to take the next step uh, in celebrating god's mercy and god's forgiveness so some people do use me as a as a confessor but the vast majority of them do not, because they see spiritual direction as something a little bit different than the Sacrament of Reconciliation.
0: When uh, someone contemplates becoming a spiritual director, what kind of commitment is required to do this?
1: Well, in in our Diocese of Austin, the program here at Cedar Break, it's a two-year program, And we meet uh, once a month for a Saturday and a Sunday. So it's a two year commitment and it is a commitment of eight weekends each year. So basically you're talking about 16 weekends and what you learn in the Spiritual Direction Program, as you are trained as a spiritual director, you first of all learn some of the great wisdom that comes from our Catholic spiritual tradition. Because some of the great classics of the history of Christian spirituality, they offer us great nuggets of wisdom. So there is a learning component to that. But there's also a component of you reflecting on your own life and coming to discover how God's grace has been working on yourself. And then you also learn the practical technique of how to ask open-ended questions and how to help someone become more aware of God's grace in their life. And so, so it's partly learning, it's partly reflection, and then it's partly the practicalities of how to sit with someone for, for a 15-minute Spiritual Direction session.
0: And uh, the information for uh, joining the program that's coming up is on the Cedar Break website?
1: It is. It is. If you if you if you look for SDI, Spiritual Director Institute.
0: Very good. Um, back to your role as a spiritual director at Cedar Break. If you were talking to someone that has never been on a retreat, and uh, what would you tell them to encourage them to come to Cedar Break for? Even a day retreat or the weekend retreats.
1: So well, if if nothing else, you know, all of us, and this, I always, I always love to tell people who come to see the break, we have one of the best. We have one of the the best uh, jobs because each and every person we are we are born with a hunger for God. And Cedar Break is one of those places. It's like going to a Chinese buffet. You you can look over all the different programs, all the different retreats we offer, and you can kind of pick and choose how are you going to satisfy that spiritual hunger inside of you. So in so many ways, you know, we are so lucky because we don't really have to convince people to come to see the break, because any person who even does just a little bit of self-reflection, they will discover inside of themselves a spiritual hunger. And then they decide, how do I want to satisfy that hunger, and that might be coming to one of our uh, book studies, which occur one, on, you know on, typically on a Wednesday. It might be to come on a weekend retreat. It might be uh, being attentive to their parish bulletin and see when cedar brick on the road might come to their area. Or it might be uh, thinking about joining our school for contemplative living that's going to begin in on the Wednesdays of Lent. So, you know, it, I don't think we have to convince people, any person who has just a bit of self-awareness will discover inside of themselves a hunger and a thirst in order to deepen their relationship with God. And I should also mention, we also have a brand new program, which I forgot about, and it's going to occur the first weekend of January, and it's called the First Annual Biblical Institute at Cedar Break. And this is going to be for people who are involved in, uh, in uh, Bible studies in their parishes, for deacons, for clergy, for religious, anybody who has an interest in, in Bible study. Uh, and we have, we have already had committed Father Bill Burton. To be the our first presenter for the first annual Biblical Institute, and those people who have experienced Father Bill Burton here at Cedar Break in the past, they know what they're in for, because he's one of the finest, finest uh, presenters and a fine, fine biblical scholar. Father Bill has this unique gift of taking the most difficult, difficult. Uh, biblical idea and making it so real for the average person. And so in the past, when father Bill has been here for a weekend retreat, we that, that the retreat house books up immediately. And so he's going to come now. Uh, We have him booked for the first weekend of January in 2019 and the first weekend of January in 2020. And this first is upcoming, uh, our first Biblical Institute at Cedar Break. Uh, the topic is going to be the Gospel of John, and so Father Bill is going to lead us and show us why is it Jesus only gives seven miracles in the Gospel of John, while in the other Gospels he does hundreds of miracles? Why is it there are no parables in the Gospel of John? So he's just going to give us a deeper appreciation and understanding for that fourth Gospel that is so radically different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke.
0: I think it's a wonderful thing that the Retreat center is providing these sort of opportunities for uh, Catholics to learn more about their faith, but also to learn more about their faith life because yeah, so I, often we fail to realize that we need to grow.
1: So true. So true. You know, spiritual growth does not happen by osmosis. You must be
0: intentional about it and uh, this goes back to not only spiritual direction but I think you as the spiritual director for the retreat center have a unique position where you can help a large number of people gain interest in growing spiritually
1: Absolutely, I mean, oh, at, I mean, I mean, <laughs> it, it, this job fits me like a glove. I, you know, my background is uh, I have a doctorate, a PhD from Fordham University in the history of Christian spirituality. I've written 11 books, all dealing with adult spirituality and and how to live the spiritual life. So I'm I'm living my dream here on these 75 acres of Cedar Break. Uh, I, I find myself to be very, very fortunate. And I'm so grateful to Bishop Joe, Bishop Danny, and for the entire diocese of Austin for giving me such a warm welcome.
0: You mentioned the 75 acres, and we hadn't really talked about that uh, at Cedar Break, just the ambiance.
1: Oh, you know, we, and most people don't know the history. The, the, this, this is a cedar grove we now have 75 acres but what a lot of people don't are aware of is during the civil war this location belonged to the confederate uh, to the confederacy and this was the cedar grove where men used to come and hide in order to avoid conscription into the confederate army and so every just the other day the other weekend there was somebody here Uh, with one of those metal detectors, and I asked him what he was doing, and he said, well, uh, you know, there's a rich Civil War history here at Cedar Break, and he was just seeing if he could find any uh, Civil War artifacts.
0: Well, I think that, uh, you know, having walked around Cedar Break, there's probably nothing as peaceful as just spending a little bit of time with God just Out in nature and those 75 acres provide a wonderful opportunity to allow ourselves to do that to just take a moment
1: yeah it sure does you know in Celtic spirituality the spirituality of Ireland England and Scotland the British Isles they have a belief They have a thing called thin places, T-H-I-N. And a thin place is one of those places where the separation between heaven and earth is so thin that God and angels move in and out. And in Celtic spirituality, one of the thin places is a grove or a forest. And that's exactly what we have here on these 75 acres. We basically live in a cedar grove. And so how many times have people already told me they come on retreat here and they encounter God, they encounter an angel, they encounter Christ.
0: And I think it's awful fitting that we have a Franciscan friar in the middle of all this nature because of St. Francis's affinity for nature. His,
1: his love for nature, and. Francis had that unique gift where he would look at nature, and and he used nature as a ladder to bring him to God.
0: Now, we're nearing the end of our uh, discussion here, and um, I want to give you a few moments just to talk about... The opportunities at Cedar Break uh, for our uh, listeners, and encourage them to take advantage of those.
1: So let me let me just recap then. So first weekend of January, we had the first annual Biblical Institute at Cedar Break. That's going to be a weekend workshop. And it's going to be focused on the Gospel of John. And it's going to be uh, presented by Father Bill Burton. And those, are, those who have, have, have experienced Father Bill, they know exactly what they're going to be getting. And then in February, we're going to have a uh, Wednesday focused on my latest book, Practical Holiness, Pope Francis as Spiritual Companion. And so we're going to spend the day talking about how to become a saint through the lens of the teachings of Pope Francis, and then beginning in Lent, we have the School for Contemplative Living starting, and that's a six-week program on Wednesdays, uh, helping people to deepen their the contemplative aspect of their life. And then, of course, we have every weekend we have different retreats, and so people can go on our website, and they can see what retreats are being offered on what particular weekends.
0: Thank you, and I would encourage all our listeners to go on the uh, Cedar Break website, find their calendar, and take a look and take advantage of this. It is absolutely wonderful, and it is a great opportunity for us to grow spiritually, and all of us need that, especially when we look around the world and we see all the tension, all the strife, all the discord. And... Um, We need a little peace, we need a little solitude, we need a little silence in our life, and uh, take advantage of that. Uh, Father Albert, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Uh, I have one quick question before I let you go. What's shenfu mean?
1: Shenfu is the Chinese word for priest. It's also the title father that is used for a Catholic priest, and so in Chinese, my name was he Guan ya Shen Fu, because you
0: always put the title at the end of the name. Yes. Well, Shen Fu, thank you very much for joining us.
1: And, My uh, pleasure, Deacon Mike. My pleasure.
0: I want to remind all our listeners that next week, Gene Wilhelm will be your host of the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God always round up.